0: I want to start by thanking Chris and Carrie for sharing their story and um, and what God had done. That is a very vulnerable thing to do and a very difficult thing to do in this sort of setting. And so I'm I'm very thankful that they're willing to be just honest and open. And I, I want to tell you that um, we're not. I have no desire to be a politician. We have no desire to get into politics here. That is not it. But there are pathways that cross politics in Scripture. And as those pathways cross, we're simply going to look at the Word. We're going to look at the Word, and we're going to identify what the Word of God has to say. And as the Word addresses those matters, we're going to speak to them. And we're going to speak to them in truth and in love. Having said that, uh, I mentioned earlier that there were a few things that happened 49 years ago. Pastor Matt was born, and also uh, Roe v. Wade was the um, uh, was passed. So that happened 49 years ago. Since then, 62 million babies have died in the abortion industry, and we have to we have to address that in our own world and and. I recognize that if the statistics are true, then one out of every four women, 45 and younger, has had an abortion. If uh, just in this room, if that is generally the case, then uh, the reality is there are multiple people in this room who have had abortions. I say that not to condemn anybody. We identify that God's plan is for life. We also recognize that everyone has fallen short of the glory of God, and yet even in those places, God can meet us, he can restore, and he can redeem. That's his job, that's what he does. And we're going to lean into those truths even today. As we look at the full narrative of the scriptures, we recognize that from the very beginning, God is offering life. That life is certainly physical, but it's also a spiritual life, and that spiritual life is connected to a relationship with him, always, always. It was God's plan that his creation would dwell with him. When when creation compartmentalized and set God apart, then the problems began. And we see the problems that began in the garden still lived out in our world daily. I want to share today that there's hope, that there's restoration and an ability to go back to the life that God intended, no matter what your background is. This is not a place where Um, we're not about the judgment piece, but we are about the restoration piece. And when things are sin, we're going to call it sin. And when there's an opportunity for God to be exalted, we're going to exalt God. And when the scriptures deal with sin, we're just going to deal with them. And I'll tell you, uh, there is nobody in this room that is more uncomfortable than me dealing with that. I'll just tell you that right up front. And yet at the same time, I got to say, I'm happy to do it. Because it's God's word, right? We think that God can restore, and he does. As Abram was dealing with the very issue of do I follow God or don't I follow God, he comes to some crossroads that we've been talking about. This crossroad is a crossroad of life and a call to life. And that message is woven throughout the Scriptures in a variety of ways and ultimately fulfilled in Jesus when Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly in John 10.10. And so Jesus is offering life, but that message of life and a choice for life is ours daily. And I think of uh, Exodus Uh, The Exodus, as the children of Israel are leaving uh, Egypt and going into the promised land, they are constantly faced with that very issue. Will I choose life? And we see it in Deuteronomy chapter 30. It says it this way. Therefore choose life, that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days. He is, did you catch that? That you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Choose life. It is a choice. And and that choice, it may happen a million times every day, but we have this responsibility. We get this opportunity to choose life and to be redeemed in those places. Now, I also have to say, that there are consequences. When we chose death, there were consequences. It started in the garden and played out through the history of humankind since then. But God gave some opportunities foreshadowed in, the, in Genesis and lived out as you'll see in just a few moments. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 says it this way. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So though God calls us to life, this is not a flippant kind of thing. Oh yeah, oops, I messed up. I, God, you know my heart. No, this is a bigger deal than that. And in the Old Testament, it was revealed how big of a deal it was by the shedding of blood. Now, again, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about this in a moment, but again, you're going to see initial fulfillment an ultimate fulfillment in scripture. When you read prophecies, always think in those terms. There's an initial fulfillment and there is a long-term and ultimate fulfillment. And that ultimate fulfillment is found in Christ as we'll see. But Leviticus also addresses this very matter for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement. When you see the word atonement, just break it down. <laughs> Excuse me, break it down in your head at one ment. at one for your souls. For it is the blood that makes at one atonement, by the life. So we see that life is offered, but when we chose death, there is a consequence. And God in his economy put something in motion so that we would be able to identify his ultimate fulfillment and Savior. And that's himself, as we'll see in just a few moments. Before we go any further, and because we are dealing with a a big topic that is going to address kind of a spectrum of things, as you've already seen, I want to take a moment and just pray for us. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, first of all, I want to ask for forgiveness for sending mixed messages. Lord, that we live in a culture whose money says, in God we trust and who kills 62 million babies. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for those times where we've sent mixed messages from pulpits all over the United States, where we spoke of God's love, and we forgot to talk about the sin that is connected. That, Lord, we, we talked about heaven, and we didn't talk about hell. Forgive us. When we talked about the goodness, the fruits... But we didn't talk about the consequences of sin. Lord, forgive us. And as we stand here today considering uh, your work in the life of Abram, we are by extension also considering your work in our own lives, individually and corporately. And we recognize, Lord, that uh, we need you, that you are the, the ultimate fulfillment, that you are the heir. Lord, that is to come in this passage as we're going to see, but the ultimate fulfillment in you, that you are the sacrifice that is given, Lord, that you are the reward that we receive. And so, Lord, help us, help us today to respond in faith to you and not just in a prayer for the sake of salvation, but Lord, moment by moment and need for you, almighty God. A need for you to restore us to the life that you've called us to. A need that you would restore us in our families and in our relationships, in our communities, Lord, and ultimately and completely with you. We want restoration, Almighty God. We want healing. Lord, as we've talked about the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, and as we've talked about Devastation, the devastation and the consequences associated with that. I also pray for those here who have been affected by abortion. Lord, who have maybe chosen it, or some loved one has chosen it. I pray, Almighty God, for healing. I pray for your restoration where my words are inadequate where this facility is inadequate, where self-help is inadequate. Your Holy Spirit can do things in mysterious and powerful ways that we want to lean into and trust you for, even today for your glory. Lord, would you have your way in this place? And it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. When we started this series with Abram, we uh, identified a book called Experiencing God. It's by Blackaby and King, and that that book outlines seven areas. Seven areas where we said, we're going to see those seven things happen throughout Abram's life. And it's going to come in like waves crashing on a shore and receding back out to the ocean. At some points, we'll only see one wave come in. In other points in this narrative, we're going to see all seven come crashing in. And we're going to be able to identify that, not just in the life of Abram, but by extension, we're going to consider it in our own lives, what God might be up to. And so with that in mind, let me revisit those points uh, for us. God is at work around you. I, I love this reality. Like God didn't go on vacation. Uh, he's not too busy for us. He, he's not taking a break. He didn't clock out. He's not using the restroom. God is at work. And he's at work around us, and he's at work actually inside of us as well. For those who have received Jesus, as we'll talk about in a moment, God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. And we see this throughout the scriptures. Uh, uh, throughout the scriptures, that God specifically is at work on on the corporate level, but also on the individual level, and he is. He has seen the beginning from the end and is at work in all of those places. And as we see in the third point, that God invites you to become involved with him in his work. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Like God can take imperfect people and use them somehow for his glory. He must be God. Like only God can do that. And, and we're amazed and thankful and lean into the fact that that is true. God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and the church to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. I, I, I do want to pause in this because oftentimes we will uh, take one of those and really run with it. And, and I, I want to discourage that. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll hear people say, God spoke to me and I have to do this thing, and God told me to do it. And that might very well be true. Uh, but confirm that. Is it consistent with his word? Is it it the wise thing to do in this circumstance? Are there other godly people that are uh, aware of the situations that are speaking into this uh, in a godly way? Uh, That's an important piece of discerning God's voice in our lives. God's invitation for you to work with him always leads you to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. Uh, I wish it wasn't that way. I wish once we received Christ that there was like this red carpet that was rolled out, and we just walked on this magical red carpet, and everything was easy-peasy, lemon-squeezy, nothing could touch us. We were all good, but that's not the way that works. In fact, trusting God is going to bring us to these crossroads, or crisis, as it says here. And these crossroads are going to be places of, do I choose fear, or do I choose faith? Do I choose God, or do I choose the flesh? Do I uh, do I yield to temptation or do I become obedient to the Lord? These are decisions that we have to make, and following God is going to bring us consistently to that crossroad. You must make major adjustments in your life to join God in what He is doing. We certainly see this with Abram, but I would suggest that anyone who has been obedient to the Lord's call in their life is also dealing with that very same thing. Hey, it's going to take adjustments. Sometimes we're going to have to plan ahead and prepare ahead to be obedient to the Lord. Uh, that happens in a variety of ways. You'll see it in the story of Abram uh, throughout our time together. You come to know God by experience as you obey him and he accomplishes his work through you. But don't miss this piece. If if I could use it in contemporary terms, and I, I, I don't want to speak for the authors, but maybe the author, author's just uh, again, they, uh, they wrote this 20 some years ago, so there, there's uh, a little bit of a difference from then to now. But I would say purpose is the big piece here. That God created us on purpose, with purpose, and for purpose to fulfill his will. And he wants to use us to get there. That's a beautiful thing. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open those to Genesis chapter 13. We're going to be in Genesis 13 and 15 today. And as you're turning there, I want to talk about uh, two things. One of those are name meanings. We've We've been identifying that every time you see a proper name in the Old Testament especially, but it's true in the New Testament as well, but especially in the Old Testament, we see that those proper names have meanings that influence and inform the text. So for the original hearers of this word, they would respond, oh, okay, that's an identifier, something's coming up. Uh, That is certainly true in the text today. We're we're not going to take the time to go down that road today as we have in the past, but I want to remind you of that tool to use in your own studies supplementally. There's also this matter of foreshadowing. It's generally used uh, to, uh, to let the reader or listener know that something is about to happen. There is a part of a story that is being spoken that is ultimately going to be fulfilled, maybe in a little different way. There's a surprise coming, but get ready because it's coming. There's something coming. And foreshadowing does that. And you're going to see that in a variety of ways in the text today. As we talk about Abram's heir As we talk about Abram coming to a place of sacrifice, and as we talk about Abram's reward, you're going to see there's a foreshadowing that's taken place that is ultimately going to be fulfilled in Christ. There's a short-term and a long-term fulfillment. Be looking for it. We're in Genesis chapter 13. We'll start in verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt. He and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negeb. Now Abram was very rich in livestock in silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negeb as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. If you have a pen and your Bible, I want to encourage you to underline that last sentence. And there, Abram called upon the name of the Lord. That calling upon the name of the Lord is significant. And we're going to see how significant in just a little bit. But basically, uh, let me speak to this. This is not just, oh, I've come to the end of my rope. God, help? That's not what this is. This is a choice. I am about God's business. This Yahweh is different than the gods I was brought up with, and I'm choosing to follow him. We know that if we we, uh, confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we're saved, that that confession is not a flippant confession, but rather a lifestyle of a choice and discipline in following him. That discipline in following him is birthed out of a love for God. It's not to earn the salvation, it's the fruit of salvation. It's a little different. And we see that first in Genesis chapter 13. We see that lived out throughout the New Testament. And Romans chapter 10 in particular speaks to this very thing. Let's skip over to verse 15. As we go to verse 15, I want to share something with you. Uh, because this is an important part of understanding this passage. Otherwise, it sounds super weird. And so, uh, here was the situation. In ancient days, they would do a blood path covenant. Kings did this. A conquering king would do this with a conquered king. And what they would do is they would take these animals, they'd cut them in half, and they'd put them so that they would drain into this valley. And so, Uh, These animals would be cut in half, the blood would be draining, and they would make a covenant. And the covenant would be something like this. You can continue to rule the land that you're in if you pay taxes and you send your, uh, your men 17 years and up to my army. And I will allow you to remain ruler of this region. And then they would walk through that blood path. Now, the significance is symbolic, but let's not miss it. As they were walking through it and committing to the covenant that they just created, they would say, it would be like this. May it be done to me, as has been done to these animals. If I, did you see I just got attacked? I don't know what that was. Yeah, it was one of those animals. Yeah. Yeah. I want to be a part of that blood path, yeah. (laughs) Settle down. It was one of my friends, just hanging there. Uh, But the idea is, may it be done to me, as has been done to one of these animals, if I break this covenant, if I break this covenant. And so uh, that's going to play an important role as we read this passage, and this passage informs us about this very practice, the blood path covenant. When we look at Scripture, there seem to be some promises that aren't immediate. What do I do with this? Uh, Abram is dealing with that. God, you gave me a promise that uh, you would make a great nation out of me, but the problem is I don't have any kids, so how's that going to work? Maybe it's the next person. Maybe it's next in line to receive whatever it is I have, my inheritance. That's what he's telling God here. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look towards heaven. And number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. If you have your pen, verse 6, please underline that. And he believed the Lord. Now, sometimes when we, um, when we use the word believe in the United States, uh, it, it, it's, it doesn't really have teeth. It doesn't really, like, yeah, I believe you. Mm, sure, I believe that. Uh, it doesn't really have teeth. But the word that's used here is, uh, in other forms, used uh, to mean verify. So, and he verified the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. Consider that a little bit different now. So what Abram has done is he's left his homeland, Ur of the Chaldees, and he's gone towards the promised land. He gets to this place where there's a famine and he leaves God's plan and he goes to Egypt where he thinks he can be fed and watered. And in doing so, he lies and almost loses his wife and almost dies. God uniquely and miraculously rescues him. He goes back to uh, Bethel and Ai, as we saw in chapter 13, and there he calls on the name of the Lord because he verified that God's word is true. How about for us? Have we verified the Lord? Uh, Let me just put that out a little bit. Are we following Jesus because we've been told Or do we have this testimony, this relationship with God that has consistently brought us to crisis, and when we choose to follow God in crisis, somehow he shows up in miraculous ways? We've verified it. Now, we can also verify other things. Uh, Can we verify the resurrection? Yep, that's verifiable. I would encourage you to look into it. We just just had uh, Rick Allen do a presentation that was... Uh, reasons to believe, and showed the evidence of why we can trust. He verified the resurrection. I can trust that. I verified it. That may have a little different flavor than believe. And for some people, yep, it's in the Word. I trust the Word. I believe that. That's good enough. In this case, with Abram, he starts with, I'm going to verify that. Trust you? You seem to be an all-powerful God, but I'm going to verify that this is true. Whoops! And he said to him, I am the Lord, covenant name, I am Yahweh, who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Okay, there's something about to happen here. Something's about to happen. And Abram would know what he's talking about. Okay, we're getting ready to enter into a covenant. You're like, God is not messing around now. And he brought him all these. Cut them in half and laid each half against over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. So... This is not just some sort of dream, a spiritual dream that he had. This is actual. This happened uh, in real time. Verse 12. And the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. When we read that in English, we think, oh, God brought dreadfulness and great darkness on him? That's horrible, but that's not really what is being stated here. Imagine being in the presence of an almighty, holy God. That. In comparison to him, he feels the darkness. Uh, He's in a dreadful place. He knows his position before God as a sinful person. And it fell on him. He's in the presence of God, and this confirms it. Verse 13. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. That's talking about the the call to Egypt that Joseph takes and that the people of Israel end up in slavery in Egypt. Again, a foreshadowing of some things to come. Pretty blatant, actually. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Without getting into all of the uh, the nuances of it, I'll cut to the chase. Several uh, several Jewish theologians have identified that in this place represents God, or I'm sorry, represents man and represents God. So they're they're. Two represents, God walks through this twice. Why would God do that? Well, he walks on one representing man and two representing himself, God. Think about that for a second because it's important. What is God saying? May it be done to me as has been done to these animals if I break this covenant or if you break this covenant. He's walking uh, this covenant on behalf of both of them. Your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Katamonites. So God is offering this land. And and let me say this about the land because this maybe is an important piece of it. Uh, This land yields fruit, like really good fruit. We learn this even more so uh, in the Exodus account. This land is so... So God is giving him a good land. You know, it's not like, uh, uh, hey uh, Abram, I'll give you the Mojave Desert. You know, no, no, that's not it. He's giving him a land that is lush, that will produce fruit. Uh, that's very important in this. And so let's pause and take a look at this in a little bit more detail. The verses that I'm going to be showing you and just or sharing with you in just a few moments. Uh, it's important to note, are not up here. So if you have your Bibles, you'll want to get them out. If you have it on your phone, I'm trusting you to use uh, the Bible on your phone and not other things, but you can get that out as well. And let me just go through a few things. The first thing is this, that there is an air that is being promised. So a part of of what uh, God is giving and is doing in Abram's life is promising an heir. What we're going to see in just a a little bit, not today, but in this narrative, is that Isaac is the son that they had been waiting for. Isaac's name means laughter. Uh, Why? Because Isaac's mother laughed when she heard that God was going to do this amazing thing. (laughs) That can't be Oh, okay, well, let's memorialize this with a name. And his name is Laughter. Uh, But that's just the initial fulfillment. The ultimate fulfillment is found in Jesus. Go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 3 in your Bibles. Galatians chapter 3, verse 16 is where we'll go. So, Abram is expecting an heir. And an heir is going to come and his name is Isaac. Isaac. And from Isaac is, uh, is this amazing gift that comes his way. The children of Israel, they become an amazing nation. Uh, all of these things happen, but that's just initial. The ultimate fulfillment is found in Jesus in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. It says this, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Jesus is the ultimate heir. And so all of the blessings that come from Abraham ultimately go to Christ for him to distribute the way and oversee the way that he does. It's not just that, though. Jesus is the sacrifice. When we talk about these animals uh, that were sacrificed in this blood path covenant, Um, God walking through this twice for himself and for mankind is saying, may it be done to me as has been done to these animals. And it's done to him. He knows, like there's no surprise that Abram and his family, his lineage, humanity is going to balk at this. He knows that. It's going to happen. And what does that mean? It means that he's going to have to give his life. May it be done to me as has been done to these animals. And we see that throughout the Gospels. Uh, I would especially point to John chapter 19 for supplemental reading later. That, that, is, that is, you see the suffering of Christ in that place. And the brutality of the situation that, that God is willing to come in the flesh and be the sacrifice for us that we can have life. That covenant has been fulfilled. It's completed. In fact, Jesus says that. It is finished. It is completed. We see that, uh, if you want to go ahead and turn to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down At the right hand of God. His sacrifice was enough. Have you ever wondered, uh, as Christians, why do we not have sacrifices? Why do we not have animal sacrifices? We see them in the Old Testament. Why not now? There's plenty of animals, as you saw, attack me just a moment ago. (laughs) Well, the reason is Jesus did it once and for all, completely. Uh, His sacrifice is good enough. It's ultimate, and it's for us. And it's for us to inherit the reward. Uh, Go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 22. As you're turning to Revelation chapter 22, let me talk about the reward. As I stated earlier, that the land is given to the children of Israel. But that's a foreshadowing of something better. And you might be saying, heaven? Well, kind of. Um, Here's the issue. The land yields fruit. Otherwise, it's worthless land. But God is giving uh, Abram the best land. And it yields fruit and vegetables. And they're good and delicious and wonderful. And just like Jesus, Jesus is that land that he offers the fruit to us. And we see that in Revelation chapter 22. In verse, in verse uh, 12 and 13. Well, I'll just do 12. Behold, I am coming soon bringing my recompense with me, or inheritance, to repay each one for what he has done. For those who follow Jesus, he has an inheritance. He's offering the fruit of his land to them. Jesus is the heir, he's the sacrifice, and he's the reward. As the worship team comes out and we prepare our hearts for communion, this is in front of us now. What is God calling us to do? The first first piece of this is that we would be obedient to the Word of God. Are we followers of Jesus? So when we enter into communion, we're not just practicing this, I don't know, religious exercise. But we're called to follow Jesus. And so we ask that first question, am I really following Jesus? If so, this communion is for me, offered to me. And then we're called to examine our hearts. Is there any unconfessed sin? And we talked about a spectrum of those today. Have there been these places where I have chosen death over life, where I've chosen to compartmentalize uh, my relationship with God and separate my existence from Him? If so, that's sin. And that place of sin uh, is separation from God. We often use the word death. But that word death means separation from God, not just not breathing. And so we have this opportunity to confess our sins. It's not a flippant thing that we do because we remember the amazing sacrifice that Jesus gave for us. At Friendship, we ask you to get both elements, the the bread and the cup, and return to your seat. And then we participate together uh, a little bit later. Would you join me as we pray? And after I pray, you're free as you feel the Lord moving you to get the elements. And if you're having problems in your seat, getting up and being able to get those elements for whatever reason, if you flag down one of the red-shirted people, they are happy to help you uh, right where you are. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word and that it's true. Lord, we recognize our incredible need for you that you are the ultimate fulfillment of everything, that you literally are our all in all, that there are types that we see throughout the scriptures that only point us to you, that you actually fulfill completely and beautifully. Help us not miss that. As we choose to, As we choose today, we choose life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.